Time Out with Manu Kakopian. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out with Manu Kakopian. Today we are joined by KTLA broadcast reporter and journalist Elina Abovian, who is a lifelong Angelino and fellow Armenian journalist and reporter who has been uh, doing a lot of great things in the Southern California scene as far as her news gathering and her storytelling and really working for the Southern California community. And Alina, thank you very much for taking the time and, and joining the show and uh, talking to us about your journey. Thank you so much for having me. That was such a nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what What's the big story you're working on right now? Obviously, as journalists and reporters, we're always chasing that big one. What's uh, What's an assignment that you're actively uh, pursuing right now? Um, I think the big story this week has been coronavirus. Um, I was on that beat at LAX earlier this week, so we're all kind of following the latest developments with that just to see how close it really is going to hit home. Yeah, that's uh, try. Let's try to keep that as far away from home as possible. That's obviously something Absolutely. that's that's obviously something that's dominating the international uh, headlines. And you know, your big thing is obviously serving for the Los Angeles community. And it's um, you weren't born here, so can you take me a little bit about your background as to how you ended up coming to Los Angeles and uh, working your way around town to. Uh, land at KTLA? Uh, you're right. I was born in Yerevan. Um, I moved here with my family. We immigrated in 1987, so I was just a baby at the time. And the reason we moved to the U.S. was because of the fall of the, um, um, the Soviet Union in Armenia. And my parents certainly professionally took a major hit. Uh, so we moved to Los Angeles, where we hardly knew anyone. My parents you know, we're in their early 30s, very young, um, you know, started from the very bottom. And I grew up here in L.A. The first city that we lived in was Hollywood, even though it was for a very short time, just six months. And then we came to Glendale, uh, land of the Armenians. And I proudly live in Glendale now, uh, where I'm raising my family, where my husband and I are raising our family. Um, I got my start in news, I would say, the first inkling of it was when I was maybe five or six years old, we took a class field trip to one of these um, career, sort of like play career places. I don't even know the proper way to describe what it is. Um, but it's, it's like this uh, place where kids go and they get to test out different professions. Like there's a room for kids who want to be teachers. There's a room for kids who want to be doctors. And I walked into the newsroom. And I saw the anchor desk and all the lights and the cameras. And I just remember I saw like the light and I was so something just resonated with me. Even at such a young age, I just thought, wow, this would be amazing. And I remember watching the news a lot as a kid, you know, we didn't have fancy cable channels back then. So we watched a lot of local TV and especially at night, I would watch the news with my parents and I was always in awe of, you know, the female anchors, especially back in the day when news was in its heyday, I just fell in love with them. I thought that they were so poised and professional and elegant, and I just wanted to kind of grow up to be just like that. And so it was always on my mind um, going through junior high school and high school. And obviously, you know, like any young kid, I went through a lot of phases. I even wanted to be an FBI agent, which clearly did not pan out. 
Um, <laughs> but I went through a lot, a lot of phases. And then, you know, as I got older, I took a more serious interest in, um, in writing and journalism. But it wasn't just journalism that I was interested in. There was always that idea of being on television that, you know, you just can't deny it when you have that feeling in you and you want to pursue it. So I majored in broadcast journalism. I went to Cal State L.A., uh, I graduated, and for about two years after that, I worked a couple, you know, a few odd jobs in the sense that I worked PR and marketing, but not in news, which is what I really wanted to do. I worked for CBS. I was um, kind of like a, a PA, and so I worked on a lot of different shows like Bill Maher, Young and the Restless. You know, it was really great to get an insight into the industry, but again, it wasn't news, and I always wanted to get into news. But moving away from home was something that I was really intimidated by. I didn't want to leave L.A. I didn't want to leave, like, my family, my friends. You know, growing up Armenian, you sort of grow up in a bubble and very cushioned and sort of nurtured by your parents. So the last thing I wanted to do was to go to, like, you know, middle America by myself and start at the very bottom. But I realized one day that I need to do this. I need to do it for my own well-being. I need to do it because no one is going to hand me my dream job unless I make certain sacrifices and go after it. So I got really lucky. I um, I sent resumes everywhere, but I got a call back from a station in San Luis Obispo, which is just three miles north, you know, on the 101. So I thought, great, I can come home on the weekends and I can work there and get started. So that was a great experience. Um, I was there for about, I want to say, around a year, um, but I didn't wasn't given a contract. I worked freelance for them. And so after that point, I went to Fresno and then from Fresno to San Diego. And then from San Diego, I was hired at KTLA. And I've been there, been here rather, for four and a half years now. Yeah, you've been fortunate enough to be somewhat relatively close along that journey. And, you know, it's something where, you know, as Armenians, we're very family oriented, all of our friends and family are close by. And, you know, I, I could really relate to your story because. You know, I was I'm the son of immigrants, too. I was born here. I went to I went to Cal State Northridge for journalism. I went through the entire um, hierarchy as far as starting off small and, you know, working my way up to mainstream media where, you know, I currently am fortunate enough of working now. And, you know, it's everyone always ends up learning of each other once you hit the big, big stage. But, you don't. they don't see all the hard work and sacrifices that were put behind the scenes um and you know especially as armenians you know it's not like our parents grew up in the business and ha had connections to open doors you know it's it really has to do a lot with hard work and opening those those your those doors yourself and i'm very I'm, I'm very curious as um specifically not only being a minority but being a woman as well too did you find those doors to be a lot harder to open for yourself work, coming your working your way up well i'll tell you a story when i was applying to go to fresno i literally had to shove that door open um, and when you bring up being a woman in, a woman in the industry, um, again, I wanted to stay in California because I was engaged at the time and I really wanted to not move too far. So I was applying everywhere and I even had an agent, but even, you know, outside of her efforts, I was doing my best to apply and just email news directors and get myself out there. So there was a position for a photographer in Fresno at a Fox affiliate. And typically photographers are male dominated positions you will very rarely see a female photographer. It's like maybe 5% of the industry is female. 
So I sent him a, a, an email and I said, you know, my name is Lena Bovian. I'm a multimedia journalist. And all young reporters nowadays get trained as multimedia journalists where you are shooting, writing, editing, and essentially doing all of it yourself. Um, and it's just, you know, it just shows how streamlined the business is becoming. So I sent him a message and I said, you know, I would be, I am willing to shoot for you and be a photographer if you will allow me to report. And he agreed to it. And I think he was just as shocked as I was because, you know, most women don't offer to be photographers. They don't offer to carry 50 pound cameras going into, you know, unforeseen situations on a daily basis to shoot for for news because news takes you to great areas, but it takes you to some pretty horrible places to cover pretty horrible situations. And a lot of women are intimidated by that or they just don't want to do it. But I was willing to, and they definitely worked me to the bone. Um, And rightfully so, because they do believe you have to pay your dues and kind of learn the dirty part of the industry before you can get to the comfortable part. So that definitely um, was a great learning experience. It was very difficult, but it made me appreciate photographers all that much more. And it made me understand, you know, you can get to where you want to get to, but you have to be willing to make certain compromises. And it was very tough. There were moments where I was going into work crying in my car before I actually got there because it was just a job that was taking a huge toll on me physically, mentally, emotionally. I was by myself living in Fresno, which is not a very exciting place. Um, but I did it and I got through it and, you know, it opened the door to the next place because even though I was a photographer on weekends, I was also a reporter during the week. And Fresno is an amazing place to learn how to be a hard news reporter because they get a lot of, um, you know, great stories going through that area. And so I, you know, really got to understand what that's like to be a hard news reporter. And that eventually opened the door to San Diego. And when I went to San Diego, it was, you know, a dream. It's a beautiful city. It's the Emerald City. And I loved living there. I made great friends. Um, And my next goal was, of course, to get to L.A. And our station in San Diego was owned by and still is owned by the same company that owns KTLA. So I always had it in the back of my mind that I would one day want to apply, one day would end up there. And, you know by the grace of God or whatever, the news director in, um, I'm sorry to say, the general manager in L.A. saw me, you know, um, as he was going back and forth between San Diego and L.A. And one day he just came down and said, we're going to promote you and take you to L.A. And that was something I didn't even have to work for. It just happened. But I, you know, now thinking back, it was all the hard work that I put into it years prior that that move happened so easily because I was sort of ready for it. No, absolutely. There's this, there's a, a great saying, when you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So it's something where all that hard work and preparation, uh, we don't see it on a day-to-day basis, but at the end of the year, it, it has this snowball effect and it creates something great. And uh, you've been fortunate enough to land in the market of your hometown, which I think is uh, pretty amazing in the sense of you don't have to go away far from home because, you know, in journalism school, they said, you know, be prepared to take your first job in Montana and North Dakota and and all these other markets. And here we are in the number two market in Los Angeles, really, and and serving the community, uh, not only from abroad, but from an Armenian standpoint as well, too. And, you know, I'm curious, Mm -hmm. when you were working in Fresno, big Armenian community there, uh, what was the reception like for for being a reporter there in the market? Because I know um, it's, it's something where, uh, the community there really loves their own. They do. And it was, um, 
it was very nice to be sort of welcomed by the Armenian community there. They reached out to me to host a few events and a genocide commemoration ceremony. So that was really lovely to meet the Armenian diaspora in Fresno. And they are people that are very rooted. Um, they're one of the first Armenians, you know, that migrated to the States. So very proud Armenians. And it was really great to connect with them and to represent them. Unfortunately, I was in Fresno only two years. And, you know, you know this firsthand. You need to be somewhere for a few years for the audience to really get to know you and to connect with you. So, you know, I think if I was there long term, I would have seen more of a connection with the community. But even in two years, you know, it was uh, it was good to get that welcoming. No, of course. And I mean, you can only report about strawberry contaminations for so long before you get tired. No, no, no. <laughs> Fresno is an awesome news town. Don't let it fool you. I mean, they have and, and this and I always say this: they're a hard news town. They get a lot of drugs. They have a lot of um, crop stories that essentially affect the entire state and the entire nation because, you know, a lot of our crops come from Fresno. And then um, it was, that was the time where we were doing the high speed rail stories. So we had those issues coming and going, you know, I mean, it, it's a town that really is um, a central artery in California. So yeah. you get a lot that goes through Fresno. So it was a great learning experience. Oh, absolutely. And of course, I was only joking. And we can't forget about some of the Armenian legends that have come out of Fresno, gentlemen like William Sadoyan, Kirk Krikorian, Jerry Tarkanian. And, you know, it, the, 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 the town is... And Cher. Uh, absolutely. Yes. He went to Fresno High School. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And uh, now we have Alina Abovian, who's a alum there <laughs> from, from a media standpoint. You know, they have a lot of media people that have come out of there, too. One of my good friends, Paul Chadurjian, uh, used to serve... I was the, just thinking about him as yeah, said that, yeah. Yeah, re- re- really served the Fresno market before moving around, too. And, you know, mm-hmm. being in Los Angeles, uh, what is it like to uh, report in your hometown to kind of drive through the streets that you grew up in and now you're standing uh, on that sidewalk with a camera crew and reporting the big news of the day. You know, it makes it so much easier in a sense. I thought that it would be so, you know, it was more intimidating, I think, to work in San, San Diego when I where I didn't really know what I was talking about in terms of like the cities. You know, I'd never been to certain areas, but here I am talking about it. I have no frame of reference. But in L.A., I know, you know, every little nook and cranny almost, you know, within, within reason. So it gives me like this good sense of, you know, I got this. It's my city. It's my town. It's, you know, I grew up here. So I know the freeways. I know, you know, the culture in each, each area. And that makes me more, I guess, in tune with reporting here because you just you just have a feel for the city, you know, the fabric of it. And um, it feels great. I mean, I used I watched KTLA as a kid my whole life. And now when people come up to me and say, oh, my God, you work in KTLA and they want to take a picture. It's like, wow, you know, I'm that person that I used to watch. So it's a really it's, it's cheesy to say, but it's it's like a dream come true. I really never take it for granted. It really is something that I always aspired towards. And the day that I was given this job, I always say it was one of the greatest days of my life because it's just everything came full circle. Yeah. And, you know, uh, again, I can relate to you from that standpoint, too. It's like I grew up watching the local news, Channel 5, Channel 2, Channel 9, Channel 11, mm-hmm. Ch- KCOP back then when it was Channel 13, and lar- <laughs> largely because we didn't have cable growing up. So I was right. a, I was a big, huge sports fan and still am, which my career mm-hmm. has taken me through the sports route. But, you know, I needed to know. I needed to see the highlights. I needed to see all of the uh, the Laker games and stuff, and that was my moment. I, I would sit through, watch the entire news, and then the I had to wait till the end of the hour so I can watch the sports segment. 
And, you know, I grew up with the likes of Hal Fishman and the great anchors that have um, that, that have made their way through Los Angeles. And, you know, it's, I think it's very important that us as Armenians, we're also bringing a diverse voice to the Southland because there's so many of us here in Los Angeles that we need to serve mm-hmm. that community too. It's just as prominent as any other of the cultures and ethnicities that are around mm-hmm. town. Um, have right. you have you found yourself reporting on an Armenian story yet? I have. I've reported on several, um, you know, mostly positive, a couple negative ones, but it doesn't matter. You know, we are part of the fabric of L.A., so we're going to be part of the stories of L.A. And, you know, I think it's it's such a great thing, you know, about you as well and myself. And, you know, we are sort of the first generation of Armenian broadcasters. And it's a really proud feeling because it just shows how much they need and want us to represent, you know, our community, uh, whether it's on radio or television or on the web. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of us, but it just makes me so proud that we have this ability because I think 20 years ago, that was not the case. And you would have maybe even been shy to apply for a job thinking, oh my gosh, they're never going to hire someone with a YAN or an IAN. Whereas now, you know, one of the reasons I was hired is because I think they wanted an Armenian for their ratings to, to sort of grasp that audience. Yeah, and, if, uh, and it's, I th- it's, it's very empowering, and it's something you know we need to both feel very proud of because it's it's like paving the way for the next generation. Yeah, and I think uh, just from the local market um, on Channel Eleven, of course, Araxia Karapetian. You know, uh, absolutely. When- I watched her before I got started. You know, and I looked up to her. So it's like it's just the beginning, I think. Um, and now she and I both work, you know, on the morning, you know, she works on their morning show and I work on our morning show. And to me, that's such an awesome feeling that you have two Armenian women, you know, during the busiest times in the morning when people are watching TV, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. And, you know, news directors are smart. They know what's good for ratings. And obviously, uh, if you can attract a certain demographic and a certain viewership, just based off of the talent alone and, nothing else that that really helps move the needle as far as what uh, a station is trying to accomplish as well but i'm very curious can you please take me through your day i know with news it breaks and you react it's not like you're waiting uh for the coronavirus to make its way through you have to, <laughs> you have to react so take me through your day how does that okay, start? I'll take, I'll take you through a particularly crazy day because today was kind of an, an easy day, or at least it was a stay put day. So um, you'll probably remember this. There was a fire um, in the Brentwood area last week, and um, it was a high-rise fire where this guy was trying to climb out the side of, of, of the building. It's a pretty big story. Anyway, so taking you through the day. Um, I work for the morning show, so I wake up in the middle of the night. I wake up around 2 a.m., sometimes 1.30. Depends if I'm scheduled to start at 2.30 or 3.30, but that's usually my call time. And um, that day, uh, we I was sent out to a breaking story. So I wake up, I make my coffee, I get dressed, and I don't know where I'm going. So I always have backup clothes in my car. Um, so if I go to a situation that merits, you know, for me to be in sneakers, I have sneakers. If I go to a situation where I'm going to be in the newsroom, you know, I take slightly fancier outfits. Um, but normally I wake up, I make my coffee, um, I put my Ugg boots on and a comfy sweater and I leave the house. And then I check in with my assignment desk and they tell me where I'm going to go. So I don't decide my stories. Uh, some people think like we just go and we decide what we're going to cover. It definitely does not work that way. There's a whole team of people that decide what I'm going to cover before, um, before I get assigned. So that day, um, it was 
maybe around 3 a.m. They said there's an industrial fire in downtown L.A. and it's fully engulfed and it's still going on. And for us in news, it's always a big deal when something is still happening because it's all about live TV. It's all about breaking news, spot news. Um, you know, we don't work towards things for the morning show. We work, we try to cover what's happening in that second. So went to downtown L.A. We're live. You know, I pull in. We pull up to the story and a million things are going on. It's my job to find the person in charge to get all the information. My photographer then goes and shoots everything um, as backup. And then we set up to go live for the 4 a.m. show. So we did a quick hit for the 4 a.m. I was able to find the fire captain and he gave me, you know, all the, he gave me the rundown of basically what happened. As soon as we were done with our 4 a.m. live shot, um, I then go around and I try to get witnesses. I try to find maybe the business owner because it was a, um, a textile I think, company that, that was burning. So, Um, try to find the business owner, try to find the neighbors, anybody that can, you know, add more context to the story to find out the history of it, because it's boring if you just say, well, here's the building that burned. But if you can find out the personal aspect behind it, you know, it's it's a man owned it who's, you know, who's had it for 30 years and it's his, you know, family's business, his dad left it to him, you know, I'm just making this up, but I'm saying if you, once you find out those details and they usually always do exist, it makes a story that much more um, important and that much more, you know, people care about it more. So we were there doing an FBI raid happening in Van Nuys. So we need you to go there. So we pack up and we drive all the way to Van Nuys from downtown LA. And it's around 6.30, so now it's traffic. So we have that working against us. We get there and the story is not quite developed. And I have to then make sure that this is a story I can go live with. And so there was a rumor going around that it was a raid because of a human trafficking operation disguised as a church. Sounds like a great, big, juicy story. But unless I can get that confirmed, I can't go on air with it, even though the person next door is saying this is what's happening. He's seen, you know, people coming in and out of the place. That's great. But I can't go based on speculation. And so, you know, something I think people at home, I'm not sure if they realize this when they watch us, is that we have a ton of information, but we only report a fraction of it that we know is 100 percent confirmed by trusted sources by officials. And so I was working the whole time on getting confirmation from the FBI rep who could tell us why they were there. And then, you know, then we could go on air. So we never actually went on air with that story because we couldn't get that information confirmed in time. And then it was around nine o'clock. I get a new, you know, text message from my assignment desk that says there's another fire. And this time it's in Brentwood. So we pack up again and we drive to Brentwood. And this is a huge story. I mean, they have all these streets closed. They have maybe 50 fire engines, 300 firefighters, and it's a high-rise building, two stories already engulfed. There's a man trying to climb out the window. And so this is a live story that's happening right before our eyes. So it's up to me to set up our cameras, um, make sure my photographer is, you know, pointing in the right direction, and it's my job to just live get witnesses, get people, whoever can talk about it and just give me information. And mind you, I'm stepping into a situation where I have no information, but because it's fluid, it's breaking news, it's happening. This is not like the FBI story. This is something that's a breaker. So we have to go live with it. And we did. And I was live for three hours straight, you know, constantly just talking about something and learning details as I go. So that's the typical busy day. Um, yeah, yeah it's, a lot of adventure. It's, it's, <laughs> it, that's the busy day, but... Let's take a quick break, 
and slow it down a little bit and talk about and just then. the overall process of news gathering, the overall process of storytelling, because I know you wear many hats in that field, too, and you have a lot of passions outside of KTLA in the newsroom as well, too, that you work on. So uh, I would love to talk more about that, but let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll dive right back into it. Sounds good. You're listening to Time Out with Manu Kakopian. And welcome back, everyone, again to Time Out with Manu Kakopian. Today, we are joined by Elina Abovian, who is the reporter and journalist for KTLA 5. She's been on staff for over four years now, serving the Southern California community on TV with her news breaking and storytelling and reporting. Alina, uh, thank you for for taking the time. I know you're 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 pretty much getting ready to sleep, if I'm not mistaken, since you told me you wake up at one o'clock in the morning to go to work. So <laughs> I don't know what well, time. I don't know if it's dinner time for you, I nap time. Nap today, so <laughs> yeah, no nap today for me. Um, but it's fine. I got I got a good night of sleep uh, last night, so I'm powering through. Uh-huh. I know you're married, you're a, you're a mother. What is it like juggling your life and your career and these weird hours at the same time and trying to mix a social life and friends and family at the same time? What is? What, can you take me through that? Honestly, it's all just, like I said, powering through. It's a juggling act from the second I wake up to the second I go to sleep if I get any sleep. Um, you know, and it's, it's beautiful chaos in the sense that I'm very thankful for all these things. You know, they're all good things. So I'm willing to work hard for it. I'm willing to um, put myself through it. Uh, you know, I have two beautiful, healthy children that are the greatest things in the world. You know, um, I'm married to the man that I've been with for the past 13 years, and I'm very lucky to have this relationship. And I'm very lucky to have the job that I do. Um, and also, I live in LA. I'm surrounded by my family, by my friends. So I consider myself pretty lucky and you know, it's it's good things. So I, I try not to complain and I try to just to get through it and just to look forward to the next thing constantly. You know, if I'm having a bad day, I just think, you know, the weekend is ahead of me and I'll get to sleep in and I'll get to go out somewhere fun or do something that will make it all worth it. I always try to look at the incentive behind things, you know, or if I'm having a hard day at work, I think, okay, just another hour and I'll get to be home with my kids and it'll all be good. So I just power through. Yeah, and I know we all get lost at the shuffle of our lives. And, you know, in media, it's a little bit different because we're on a 24-hour news cycle. We really don't switch off in any way. You know, you have to always be on top of the news. You have to always be on top of developing news, even when you're off the clock, because you need to know the background and information and context to continue the story when you're when you're back at work. And uh, in between all of that, uh, do you keep... Uh, any side passions or jobs or anything else outside of uh, reporting that you're passionate about? You know, before I even got into news, my passion was always writing and storytelling. Um, and that's something that I get to do every single day. I think a lot of people don't realize that reporters do all their writing and all their research and all their interviews. You know, so we're weaving together, we're taking all these facts and all these occurrences and we're weaving together a story and we're telling it, you know, not from our perspective in a sense. And so storytelling, I think will always be there for me, whether it's in news or not. Um, you know what the future holds. I don't know yet exactly, 
uh, side projects, you know, I've always had a passion for for filmmaking, for documentary filmmaking, um, because it essentially is what I do on a daily basis when I do, you know, longer segments, except this would be a more in-depth version of a news package. So we'll see if that ever materializes. It is something that I would love to get into eventually because I just have this, you know, this passion for telling people's stories, for, um, you know, finding these little truths that, that are all around us. And specifically, you know, I've been very involved in our new cause for the last few years, and we've done a couple of really great stories that we covered, you know, little truths that weren't told before. So if I could just continue to do that and on a larger scale, that would be a thing. Yeah, and um, specifically with your career, it's something where do you want to perhaps get behind the desk at some point, or uh, what other hats would you like to wear uh, amongst that? I would love to anchor. I think that's always been the ultimate goal. The only issue is that anchor jobs are far, far in few, especially if you're not willing to move out of L.A. And now that I'm back in L.A., the last thing I would want to do is uproot my family for an anchor job in, let's say, Florida. So for an anchor job in L.A. to come around, you either have to get really lucky or, you know, it's just they're very it's very rare. People have those jobs where we leave those jobs. And so, you know, it's something that I am working towards and practicing towards, you know, and just being ready for it whenever the opportunity happens. But even if it doesn't, I am very happy just being a reporter. You know, I feel very lucky just to have that job as it is, because this is a very competitive industry. You know, there are men and women all over the country that are fighting and working every day for my job because they want to be in a number two market because they want to work for a station like KTLA. So I try to not take that for granted, even though I have a larger goal in mind, I try to always just be thankful for something that I too spent years working toward. Do you, do you also operate with a chip on your shoulder? Cause you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, you always have to have that mentality to really succeed too, where you can't get complacent. You can't rely on past uh, experience and always have to look forward to the future. Absolutely. And I feel like I was fortunate to have been given certain opportunities, but I also felt like sometimes they came at me prematurely. And maybe that was just my own insecurity, but clearly the person doing the hiring didn't think that it was a premature move. It's just for me, I always felt like, are you sure you want to hire me? I don't know if I'm ready, you know, but that's just nerves. And I think that's good because it keeps us on our toes. And so if someone came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we're going to give you a shot behind the desk, I'm going to be thinking, oh, my God, are you kidding? What are you thinking? But it's probably something that I've already been preparing for for years without knowing it, you know, because every day that I go into a news story, I always think, you know, what, how can I do it differently? Or, you know, I watch myself sometimes and and I think, okay, what did I do wrong here? What can I do better? How can I look better? How can I speak better, sound better? You know, so it's like these are little things that we're constantly always working on and bettering ourselves. So, and, you know, someone is watching. So we'll see. Um, you know, we know, we don't know the kinds of stories we're going to tell because we we react to what's happening. But uh, mm-hmm. is there a certain type of story you like to tell? Uh, what do you consider your strengths or your favorite kind of storytelling? I love human interest stories. I mean, anytime you hear a story about someone doing something remarkably different, you know, uh, than the day-to-day, someone going out of their way for someone else, someone making a big sacrifice for someone else or for a bigger cause, you know, that's really what moves me. And I feel so lucky when those stories um, find that, you know, 
when I get handed those stories to do or when I discover those stories, I just, I get so excited about it that the script, it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to write it. I can't wait to do the interview. I can't wait to log the interview. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's why I've always been so curious about documentary filmmaking is because now I can take that exact formula of storytelling and just expand on it because now I can only do three minutes. Whereas with a documentary, I would be able to do 30 minutes or three, three hours, you know, that's, that's dependent on me and how much we can elaborate on the subject matter. So I think it's having the freedom to tell stories um, that I find is, is the only limiting factor. So, yeah, but to answer your question, I hope I answered your question. I do. I love human interest stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, we don't like to stay idle. I'm the same way. You know, I have so many different things I'm working on. You mentioned documentary. I'm working on a, a documentary myself right now on uh, the boxer Mike Tyson. And, you know, it's these passion projects that really let you come out of a bad day and really work on something that you're really looking forward to and are excited about and uh, mm -hmm. uh, allows you to exercise different muscles from, from the brain and uh, for you to execute. But, you know, I think when you're on TV, and I've experienced this myself too, it's like every, everyone just thinks you pick up the microphone, you talk into the camera, and off you go and enjoy the rest of your day. But there's so much that goes into that process that uh, a lot of people don't see. And you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier as far as wearing a lot of hats. So when you're doing that human interest story, uh, can you take me through all of the different parts you're touching along the process until the day, until the moment it airs on TV? Well, if it's something that's like an enterprise story that I, that I know about ahead of time, you know, because a lot of times, you know, in LA, we don't get to do a lot of enterprise stories. We essentially are given an assignment and you have to go into it and learn about it as much as you can. Sometimes you get an hour. Um, and this is more when I work during the daytime shows where you're putting together a package as opposed to the morning show where you're just doing spot news um, and live TV. When you're storytelling, um, you have a certain amount of time where you can get familiar with a story. So I might call my interview, interviewee and my subject and just say, tell me about it. So then on the car drive there, I can kind of think about it, let it simmer a little, you know, maybe get some ideas and toss back some ideas back and forth with my photographer about how we can shoot it because we are a visual medium. So if the video, the video needs to tell the story equally as well as the, as the writing and as the interview. Um, so I kind of try to think about what the story is going to be even before I get there. And in news, when you're working on a deadline, you kind of have to have the story written in your head before you even get there because you can't be that creative because we have deadlines. You know, you can only be as creative as the, t as the time that you have that will allow you to be creative. Um, and then once we get there, you know, I have certain questions in my mind that I want to answer. And once I go through that and then I try to take time to just have a conversation, because I think when you allow the person that you're interviewing to just talk and to let that guard down, that's when you really get the good answers and you really get them being candid and really telling their story in a way that they wouldn't when they think that they're being interviewed. Um, and then we always like to do this walk and talk thing where we have them sort of sh show us, you know, their house or wherever it is that we're filming, you know, to talk about some of the things that are part of the story just to get those, you know, natural elements and natural sound and, and all these things that make a story more authentic and not so like question, answer, question, answer, you know. Um, it's, it really is it's such a beautiful process and I love every aspect of it. Um, you know, I think those are the days where I get a high from my job because I'm being introduced and going into a world that is 
outside of my own, and I'm being given this great privilege to tell someone's story. Um, and the trust that they put into the story, I think that's a very special thing, and it's a very special connection. Um, and that story goes out on TV, it gets posted to the web, and it sort of lives forever, and so many people see it, and it makes an impact on someone else, and, you know, it's, it's a really special thing. Elina Obovian joining us here, KTLA 5 broadcast reporter, uh, and also a nominee, NAMI, Emmy-nominated, excuse me, uh, journalist. Can you uh, talk to me about what that specific project was that got you the honor? Uh, thank you. Um, this was while I was working in San Diego, um, and we sort of started seeing an uprising in social media influencers and YouTubers. And I had a friend, Sona Gasparian, who goes by Simply Sona now. She was um, really popular. It still is obviously really popular on Insta- and, um, on YouTube and was making a living off of it. And I wanted to catalog that and to show, you know, what it's like to be a YouTuber. And so um, we did a story on her, a feature called Media Mavens. And um, I didn't shoot the piece. My photographer shot the piece. I wrote it and I did the editing. And we submitted it for the Emmy and we got nominated. And it was awesome because, you know, very rarely does that happen in someone's career to get an Emmy nomination and an Emmy win. So it was a huge honor. And I think it was a very timely story, you know, talking about YouTube um, and people self-broadcasting, which is contrary to what I do. You know, I had to work to get to a station that would broadcast me, unlike, you know, this new generation that's putting themselves out there, which is a whole cool new, you know, way of, you know, it's the other side of our business. So it was, it was, it was really cool. Yeah, and when you talk about um, the other generation, I, I get that a lot too from a lot of uh, younger kids. I say younger kids, like I'm some old guy myself. We're but, so old. Guys. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I, it's like when we were when we were in college, we were looking up to people in their 30s who we felt like were in a good place in their career where we can ask questions and really uh, look up to as a mentor and you know being fortunate enough to being in that position now uh, what do you tell um, the younger generation for people who are looking to get into media or looking to get into journalism and haven't cracked open that first door yet Uh, what's your advice to them Uh, my advice would be to learn the craft first don't worry about how you're going to get it out there, whether you work for news. You know, some people say, well, TV is going away, so aren't you concerned about your job? And I say, no, absolutely not, because TV may go away, and it is going to eventually. You know, we're going to evolve past television, and people are probably going to go towards streaming. But KTLA or any other news station is going to exist, regardless of how it exists. And so the people behind the scenes that get the news on the air um, – rich photographers, editors, reporters, anchors, they will always exist because news will always be there. And so if anyone is want, wants to get into our industry, I would say do not let you know TV shrinking discourage you. Think of it this way. Work on the craft. Work on the skill that is specific to you. If you want to be a reporter, you know, go to journalism school. Learn how to be a journalist because these are the things that are going to carry you. Um, you know, YouTube might go away in a few years too. Who knows? You know, I'm just making this up, but you want to make sure that you are viable all on your own, that you know what you're doing and you can work regardless of what the medium is, whether it's for the web, whether it's for TV, whether it's for radio, um, or any other medium that is the medium, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, if you are good at what you're doing in that specific field, then you will always be hireable. You will always be in demand. So focus on yourself and not so much, 
you know, the trends of the world or, or, you know, what is the hot thing right now? Yeah. And uh, I like to always uh, say that it all starts from writing because every element of journalism and reporting, you need to know how to write. Even for TV, you have to write the, the entire script of what you're going to be talking about in your head, if not on paper and reading off a teleprompter. Right. And it's so funny to me. People always ask, do you do you write, do they write it for you? <laughs> I wish someone were. Well, actually, I don't wish because I love to write. It's my favorite part. But no, I mean, and you have to really know what you're doing. You know, it looks easy, but it takes a lot of work to make it look easy. You know, the three minutes that I'm on air, it might look like, oh, she just, you know, read something and and that's so easy. But it really is not because getting all that information, you have to go through so many different hoops and you have to know what to say and what not to say. That's the number one thing that I tell young journalists is be very careful of what you should not say because that's what's going to get you in trouble. Don't try to wow the audience with all the things that you think you know. Make sure you have it confirmed. Make sure you've done your checks and balances. Make sure your story is balanced and accurate. And if the writing is good, you know, I mean, you know, what I do now is live TV. So it's not so much writing. It's more narrating and illustrating. And that's a whole other, you know, skill set that I'm still trying to, like, perfect. But, um, yeah, writing, like you said, it's number one, the basic skill of being a journalist. You know, it has to be there. And you should focus on that if this is something you want to get into. Because once you get that down, then it becomes easy. Then you can work on, okay, I want to be on radio or I want to be on TV or I want to write for the web. You can apply that to any other medium. You just have to have the basics down. You mentioned live TV. How nervous were you the first time you had to go live? Oh, my God, I was shaking. Um, <laughs> this was in Fresno because in San Luis Obispo, we did everything like um, pre-taped. It wasn't live. Um, in San Luis, in Fresno, um, I was... I, I, I probably did my hair five times because I thought, oh, my God, it's, it's like I have to look perfect or whatever. And I was shaking and I could barely read the prompter and the prompter was too small and I needed glasses. It was just horrible. But I got through it. And little by little, you know, you get better and you get more. Um, excuse me, you get more comfortable. I think I've always loved the camera, but it's not until the light actually goes on and you realize, oh, my God, hundreds of thousands of people are watching me what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What if I trip and fall? And you will trip and fall. And I've tripped and fell plenty of times. But luckily, that's why you go to small markets so you can trip and fall where it matters less. And then when you get to the big leagues like LA, you know, you will still trip and fall every now and then because we're all human. But you'd be surprised how capable you actually come across, even though you think in your head you might be messing up. The audience doesn't necessarily see that. Oh man, I'm my own worst critic. I the first time I filmed totally. the, I the first time we I filmed the stand up, it was for um the MMA show I do for Lights Out Extreme Fighting airs on Fox Sports and mm-hmm. we were it was before the show started and all and, you know, they have the lights going on, they're trying to get the whole production elements in there and it's just me and my broadcast partner in an empty arena where it's about to be thousands of people, and then there's this red light just looking at me and, and, and the huge lights trying to get the reflection. And I had to do it about six times before I actually, I'm like, okay, I know what I'm talking about. What's so difficult here? <laughs> See, you know? I hate stand-ups. I hate to do them. We, I had a news director in Fresno there to make us do these silly, cheesy stand-ups, like bridges to packages, and I hated doing it. And even now, like, I'll never do a stand-up. I'm always like, you know, just give it to me live because live is where it happens. And I feel like the adrenaline makes you perform better. But when you know it's taped and you know you can do it over, it's like you almost set yourself up to fail. Yeah. It's that one of my one of my favorite things I see on social and Twitter every now and then. It's like we're doing it live. You know, it's like you just yeah, well, you're not really live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know. 
uh, kind of taking a step back, it's uh, you're human at the end of the day too, and you know, being in the Southern California community, being on the t- being on TV, I mean, there's millions of people who watch you. Uh, do you come across your viewers, let's say, when you're standing in line in the grocery store buying milk and eggs for the kids? Yeah, it happens uh, more often than than I expected, to be honest, especially in Glendale, because I think when you're an Armenian, you recognize an Armenian last name, and so I, I I'm. You know, for that reason, I'm more popular in my own community. Um, yeah, it happens a lot. It happens maybe once a day, um, and it's 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 a really cool feeling. I mean, I do get shy, and I get like red when people like, you know, will give you a compliment or something. It, you know, I always get shy from that, but I'm always always so like appreciative of it. Um, yeah, it's 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 you know. It's it's a weird feeling when it happens because you expect it, but then when it happens, you don't expect it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I kind of I kind of cringe inside and my toes curl anytime totally, someone yeah. anytime someone says something nice I was to at me. At a it's wedding like... once, and the announcer said, "Oh, and Alina Bovin is sitting in the crowd," and I wanted to crawl under the table. I was like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you saying this?" <laughs> oh wow, the, br- the the bride the bride must really hate you for that one for taking the attention yeah, from probably. her day. <laughs> and, and I and I hate that because I believe it or not, I don't. Don't like to be the center of attention um and people are always like well why are you on tv and like it's a very different thing when you're on tv it's a very intimate situation between you and a camera being the center of attention in a crowded room i hate that you know i'm never one to to go for that so yeah j- journalists naturally are introverts to begin with just because they work so much on by, on their own in isolation and kind of cre- creating a narrative for stories and their and their projects so it's like it's not a team project you know you you work on it on your own and you know it's naturally you don't like to be the center of attention but when you're in front of a camera everyone thinks you love it you know. I know it's 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 so funny you mention that. I know, but I think when sometimes people meet me, they are surprised that I'm quiet, you know, and a little more reserved. They think, "Wow, this is totally not how I, I thought you'd be like a social butterfly." And, and I am within reason, but you know, like you said, we are very independent. You know, people that are just kind of, you know, we we work in our own little bubble, and so. Yeah, loving the camera is very different from loving crowds or attention. Yeah, and for anyone who's not fortunate enough to run into you at the grocery store, where can they follow along on your journey? What's your social media channels? Um, really, I'm only produ- um, active on Instagram, and even that is, you know, it's like pulling teeth sometimes because I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I think it's great, but I don't think it's great, so... Uh, yeah, Instagram is where I probably share the most. Um, and it's just my life. You know, it's my work life. It's my family life. It's my social life. And yeah. And again, it's Alina underscore Abovian at inst- on yeah. Instagram. And uh, yeah. you can follow along on KTLA 5 here in Los Angeles every morning. And Alina, we're looking forward to seeing your continuous work in in the Southland and all the great stories that you tell and uh, serving as a role model for for future generations of not only Armenians, but uh, journalists and reporters who want to consider it a career. So uh, thank you very much for for taking the time out of your busy day. And um, uh, hopefully that 1.30 a.m. call tomorrow is an easy one. (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you that's very sweet and i really appreciate um you asking me to do this it was really great awesome well looking forward to the next one hopefully we got a hopefully you'll have a big breaking story we can talk about thank you and the best of luck to you as well